We are in Acts chapter 28, if you want to be turning there. Uh, I had a very busy week this last week. I wrote messages for both yesterday and today. I still have to write a message for tomorrow for Irene's uh, funeral. But amid my busy week and on a walk and during the lunchtime, I managed to listen to uh, another pastor's message where in some ways he, he peeled back the layers for his listeners to see what we all know, who is behind our moral, cultural spiral. Why are people acting evil? Oh, because there are demonic powers at play. And again, it really isn't anything new. We, we all know, as, as Paul says, for our... Battle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the world powers of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavens. But perhaps the way he was able to, in some ways, uh, seemingly so clearly demonstrate and show what you see here are, are really, it's really ancient pagan demonic worship <laughs> dressed up in 21st century clothes. And and it was hard to miss, and it was just, I don't know how to put it, downright disturbing and scary and, and haunting. And so it certainly caused me to consider my own passage as, as I was studying in the direction I was going. In fact, I started to rewrite the message on Friday after I heard the message, and then I just said, no, I'm too busy. What's really, really is just dumb Kevinese, which roughly translates to, no, I'll wait till Saturday night at 9 p.m. to rewrite it. Because what he said did pour more insight into what we're looking at in Acts chapter 28. Things in the passage that I minimized too much because I thought we 21st century enlightened Westerners would be more interested in those things rather than these things. But after being presented with the blatant, demonic, other gods and goddesses being worshipped across our world today, I needed to be reminded of really what's plain in our passage today if you look for it. So I I do invite you to stand in honor of hearing the word of the Lord, if you're able. Acts chapter 28, verses 1 through 16. We read, Safely ashore, we then learned that the island was called Malta. The local people showed us extraordinary kindness, for they lit a fire and took us all in, and since rain was falling and it was cold, As Paul gathered a bundle of brushwood and put it on the fire, a viper came out because of the heat and fastened itself to his hand. When the local people saw the creature hanging from his hand, they said to one another, This man is probably a murderer, and though he has escaped the sea, justice does not allow him to live. However, he shook the creature off into the fire and suffered no harm. They expected that he would swell up or suddenly drop dead, but... After they waited a long time and saw nothing unusual happen to him, they changed their minds and said he was a god. Now, in the area around that place was an estate belonging to the leading man of the island named Publius, who welcomed us and entertained us hospitably for three days. It happened that Publius's father was in bed suffering from fever and dysentery. Paul went to him and praying and laying his hands on him, he healed him. After this, the rest of those on the island who had diseases also came and were cured. 
So they heaped many honors on us, and, and when, when we sailed, they gave us what we needed. After three months, we set sail in an Alexandria ship that had wintered at the island with the twin brothers as its figurehead. Putting in at Syracuse, we stayed three days. From there, after making a circuit along the coast, we reached Regium. After one day, a south wind sprang up, and the second day we came to Patoli. There we found believers and were invited to stay with them for seven days. And so we came to Rome. Now the believers from there had heard the news about us. and We had come and, excuse me, and had come to meet us as far as the forum of Appius and three taverns. And when Paul saw them, he thanked God and took courage. And when we entered Rome, Paul was permitted to stay by himself with the soldier who guarded him. Let's pray. Father, we live in a culture that's succumbed to the material world, to what we see is all there is. And sometimes as Christians, though we profess a supernatural faith, we've been warped to think the way the world thinks in areas maybe we shouldn't. Father, help us to see today that our battle is not against flesh and blood. Not so you can scare us, but so you can show us because you're winning there as well. Uh, We pray that as we know you wrote these words, we pray that you would be the one teaching them today. So say what it is you desire and have your way in our hearts and minds. Speak to us where we're at. Help us to respond the way you want us to respond. We pray and ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. may be seated. God wins. Do you know that? God wins. Jesus sends out the 70 disciples, and the 70, excuse me, returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. He said to them, I watched Satan fall from heaven like lightning. Look, I have given you the authority to trample on snakes and scorpions. And over all the power of the enemy, nothing will ever harm you. This is first century AD. This is before Christ even died and resurrected. This is Christ's disciples. The demons submit to disciples. You and I have authority. Satan has fallen from heaven like lightning then. God has won. God wins. And as Paul's shipwreck moves against Malta, all you and I might see is Paul comes on land, a snake bites him, he doesn't die, he does a few healings, he gets on board another ship and he makes it to Rome. But I want you to know that behind the scenes, written into the Word of God, the Holy Spirit has used particular words for us to know, to believe, to hear, that gods, lowercase gods, are being shattered in this passage. Lowercase demonic forces that have bound captives to them in worship through fear, through deceit, are being exposed and shattered. And what I love is that Paul got here by accident. 
as far as he's concerned. A boat got off course, a storm brought them to Malta, but God brought him here on purpose. And he shows the islanders that their pagan gods and goddesses are subservient to Christ the King working through Paul. We have in this passage, shattering Thiki. You're like, who's that? You'll find out. Shattering evil illnesses, shattering Gemini, and lastly, warmth in Babylon. It's an upside-down kingdom God brings when you can have warmth in Babylon. You'll see what I mean. First, let's talk about shattering Thiki. We'll pick it up in verse 1. Why is it doing that everywhere? That's going to be a while. Safely ashore, we, uh, we, reminder that Luke was with them and survived the shipwreck with them, then learned that the island was called Malta. Some older translations give the name that was more likely used back then, Melita, which means place of refuge, an apropos term concerning Paul's landing on it. It measures only 8 by 18 miles. That's, doesn't look like the, that back then, but that is where it is. Verse 2, the local people showed us extraordinary kindness for they lit a fire and took us all in since rain was falling and it was cold. If you remember, there was a nor'easter that first hit Paul and the crew and caused all this damage and shipwreck. Maybe it was still having effects on the weather. It could just be the fact that it's autumn heading into winter in the Mediterranean. But how it must have felt, though, the safety of being on solid ground when the cold wind and rains pick up instead of heaving up and down inside that ship. (laughs) I was just out there in that. Again, all 276 passengers were safely aboard the bay there in Malta. So no doubt many fires are likely being made as locals are receiving the shipwreck survivors. But don't let this island-dwelling native, and in fact the word there looks like barbarian for native, don't let that language confuse you because it's believed that Melita was basically thriving under Roman rule. It was civilized and smart. They aren't backwards far removed and far inferior as the rest of the Roman Empire. But fires are lit, and Paul gathered a bundle of brushwood and put it on the fire. A viper came out because of the heat and fastened itself to his hand. The word here is the most generic word for snake. It always implies a deadly, toxic, poisonous creature. Now, back when the world was, quote, enlightening, and we praised science as the gospel, everyone pointed out there are no snakes of any kind on Malta. Yeah, there was that was close to 2,000 years ago, though. The, the local fauna of the U.S. continent has changed dramatically in over 300 years, so not surprised. Snakes usually hibernate in the winter. They're more sleepy and drowsy and less all the way knocked out in more temperate climates. They're just kind of knocked out. And uh, snakes are, can be known to be stiff and motionless in their dormant state. And when Paul picked it up along with some brush, the snake got a rude awakening and bit Paul. Verse 4, When the local people saw the creature hanging from his hand, they said to one another, This man is probably a murderer, and though he has escaped the sea, justice does not allow him to live. So now they see the irony. Here is a shipwreck victim. 
And if we recount chapter 27, we see the greater irony. He, he's been on this long journey, even if we want to recall the time before his shipwreck. But for the shipwreck, tossed about on high seas, adrift, fought dead. And so why does he survive the stormy sea crossing, crash landing, only to be bit by a poisonous snake? And his seeming lack of luck or fortune has the locals assuming the worst. This man must be a violent offender, a murderer. And then they say justice does not allow him to live. And the Bible capitalizes justice because the Greek word can either be justice in the sense that we think of, but more commentators today think that it means the Greek goddess justice which is pronounced Thiki. I know it doesn't look like that. In their language, uh, the Roman counterpart is Eustitia. Looks closely like justice, and many people just say Lady Justice by and large. The natives are likely saying that the goddess of justice is condemning Paul. He somehow survived the sea, but he will now surely die because the goddess is after him. In fact, one of my commentators says that there was this ancient Greco-Roman lore about this very thing. Fugitives who escape ship shipwreck only ultimately to be killed by poisonous snakes. Like it's the world or the goddess of justice taking out criminals where they thought they escaped. In other words, in our day and age, it would be as if some ignorant or uneducated person to superstitions just by random decision on a full moon night chased a black cat under a ladder while the broken mirror was nearby, showing the reflection of the said full moon, and some people would just be waiting for the monster to come out to eat him, because you just offended 14 different superstitions there. However, he shook off the creature into the fire and suffered no harm. They expected that he would swell up or suddenly drop dead. But after they waited a long time and saw nothing unusual happen to him, they changed their minds and said that he was a god. I guess I'm just one of those irreverent folks because I I find some things in the Bible, since it's historically happening, funny. Like, can you imagine this? A bright red and black snake strikes someone out of nowhere, draws blood on a stranger across a campfire, and they just kind of go, ow! They shake it off, they sit down, and he massages his hand and just, that hurt. Nothing else happens. (laughs) Like, that's kind of anticlimactic. I'm waiting for you to drop dead. That snake was obviously poisonous. Paul just carries on. What this means in the bigger bigger picture is that where Roman rulers have yet to make a verdict about Paul here, this is why he's on his way to Caesar. He's been in jail for upwards of two years on jacked up charges. Every judge knows it. They're just too afraid to make a ruling. God's verdict on Paul is not guilty. And God's verdict on Thiki, whether the demonic forces behind Thiki were acting here or if it was just a coincidence that Paul disturbed a snake in the brush and it bit him and he was just happened to be the unluckiest man on Malta. Even if it's the Maltese natives here giving power to a fabrication of their mind, God is shattering Thiki and saying, no, I'm the God of justice. This falls under my jurisdiction. Thank you. Do you know that God is the God of justice? Then I saw a great white throne and one seated on it. Earth and heaven fled from his presence. No one, no place was found for them. I also saw the dead, the great and the small, standing before the throne. 
And books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works by what was written in the books. The sea gave up its dead. And death and Hades gave up their dead. All were judged according to their works. Death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And anyone not found written in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. We have a God of justice. A God who is a judge. And maybe you don't think Theke is worshipped today, acknowledged today, but I can tell you for a fact that I've been held to a measurement or a standard or a judging bench that wasn't of God by a person who doesn't worship our God of justice. No, rather when I said something that offended them and they said, Kevin, you are now on the wrong side of history. That's their thiki. History. Their point was, is if the culture and the masses and the majority now declare that this is just and that is unjust, I must come into alignment with what the culture thinks and what the majority thinks. I love that Paul shows up on Malta and they say, Thiki has made a ruling here and God says, no, my verdict stands. Thiki is out. I'm shattering Thiki. Do you know that God is the judge? Christ is the judge. And Christ says, Luke records for us in Luke 12, 4 and 5, and I say to you, my friends, don't fear those who kill the body and after that can do nothing more. But I will show you the one to fear. Fear him who has authority to throw people into hell after death. Yes, I say to you, that is the one to fear. God's referring to himself. The gospel accounts tell us this story that happens at the beginning of Christ's ministry. Luke, uh, once again, tells us in his first book that Christ, he entered Simon's house. Simon's mother-in-law was suffering from a high fever and they asked him about her. So he stood over her and rebuked the fever and it left her. She got up and immediately began to serve them. And when the sun was setting, all those who had anyone sick with various diseases brought them to him, and he laid his hands on each one of them. He would heal them. Also, demons were coming out of many. I don't think we, we realize, because we really can't, but, but for the times that Christ goes out to alone and prays, and, or he's able to fall asleep in a stormy boat, this sort of all-night healing thing probably had to take a lot out of him. I know that I'm tired and ready to rest after a party with family for like three hours when all I've done is talk and eat. Such taxing work. Especially if the talk is not super deep all the time. But I still come home exhausted. Christ had been healing people and casting out demons. These are a, This is emotionally taxing. You can imagine the, the tears of joy the emotional exhaustion of people who have had just been imprisoned for so long, all night long, the desires of many to stay around with Jesus and talk, while they're, it's so obvious there's so many others with so much need. Like even if all you had, if all you had was something or anything or any request that you wanted to put in with a walking, talking, visible Christ and you knew where to find Him tonight, could you imagine... Like I have at least four things I can think of immediately. And to think that they could have it immediately be resolved or spoken into right now. Pretty easy to see how an entire town could quickly descend on one house. Let's pick up the story back here in Malta. Acts 29, beginning with verse 7. says, Now in the area around that place was an estate belonging to the leading man, the original 
Greek is uh, protos. It has been found on inscriptions around the island. It likely suggests what we might call a chief or a governor. Of the island, named Publius, which is notably a Roman name, who welcomed us and entertained us hospitably for three days. It happened that Publius's father was in bed suffering from fever and dysentery. It's the common symptoms of what's called Malta or Mediterranean fever. It's uh, contracted through contaminated goat milk. Paul went to him and praying and laying his hands on him, he healed him. And then look at this. After this, the rest of those on the island who had diseases also came and were cured. Now, back in Capernaum, in Christ's ministry, we were told demons were coming out of many. And throughout the gospel account, sometimes some of the language surrounding healings sounds like Christ is casting out an evil spirit. We actually saw that with Simon Peter's mother-in-law. Christ rebuked the fever, and it left her as if it had a mind of its own. Now, where did the fever go? (laughs) And Kevin, are you saying fevers are demonic? I don't know. It could be playful language in the original Greek. But I'm saying it's not beyond me that some illnesses are demonic in source. It actually reminds me when Christy and I were sitting in the office and having cancer explained to us what it really is. The science behind tumors. Cancer is when a cell not only mutates and splits and makes more cells, but they never die. They just keep growing and growing, dividing, multiplying, and never dying. And I believe the word our oncologists use was something like immortal. They are immortal. And I remember it hit me then and there. Wow, that's taking the concept of resurrection. Never dying. Witnessing, bearing fruit, and multiplying. And turning it on its head because it brings death, not life. Demonic. And Christ shows us, and Paul shows us, that even on the pagan shores of Malta, that Christ comes to shatter evil illnesses. He comes to reveal that it's not the fall that is victorious, and you and I are not subject to the evil of illnesses or to our deaths. But as Paul has already written by the time he's on Malta, he says to the Corinthians, Now, when this corruptible is clothed with incorruptibility and this mortal is clothed with immortality, then the saying that is written will take place. Death has been swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? Now the sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my dear brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always excelling in the Lord's work, knowing that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Kevin, are you saying to abandon medicine and cast out all sicknesses as if they were evil spirits? I'm saying sicknesses, illnesses, whether they be demonic or just products of the fall and not the same evil forces that work for Satan, they are all subject to King Jesus. They are all answerable to King Jesus. The gods of evil illnesses are shattered before the God of the universe, Yahweh, King Jesus. And next, God shatters Gemini. Let's pick it up in verses 10 through 13. So they heaped many honors on us, and when we sailed, they gave us what we needed. The heaping of honors on them seems to imply material needs, money, cargo, food to survive. Verse 11, after three months, so now they're coming into the late winter, likely February, 
Their leaving time was contingent on this. It says, we set sail in an Alexandrian ship that had wintered at the island. So an Alexandrian ship carrying grain from Alexandria, Egypt to Rome had been their first vessel. This vessel had apparently made it to Malta comfortably earlier in the fall, late summer, and had wintered there. But they wanted to set sail in the early spring. So deja vu, leaving on another Alexandrian ship. But then Luke throws in this note. With the twin brothers as its figurehead. These twin brothers are collectively known as Gemini. Uh, They were the patron gods of the sea, and old pagans thought them to be good luck and safe sailing. So I wonder if you hear the, the irony. Yahweh, Jesus Christ, just saw safe passage in the late fall stormy seas, provided safety to 276 passengers who crashed on Malta. And I wonder if Luke is chuckling a little condescendingly. Eh, I've just lived through a shipwreck, and I know where salvation lies, and it's not with you two on the front of the ship. Luke, Paul, and those getting on, they know who saved them. I wonder if there's some eye exchanges going on, like, hey, Paul, look at this. Then the sailing happens, this time thankfully without much excitement. Verse 12, putting in at Syracuse, not more than a day's sail from Malta, about 80 miles. We stayed three days. From there, after making a circuit, maybe they sailed a little outward and around along the coast. We reached Regium. After one day, a south wind sprang up, and the second day we came to Patoli, which is about 130 miles southeast of Rome. And it wasn't Gemini who saw them safely there. It was God, Yahweh. And as we end the passage today, we find a paradox. Because Paul is drawing ever closer to Rome, right? The capital of the world, the place that rules the world, that permits the worship of all these gods and goddesses, uh, the, the host's games were likely some of Paul's prisoners were performing. It's wrought with pagan idolatry, no, no doubt, lots of adultery. And we get passages that tell us that Paul is ever warmer. He's more encouraged. He's full of peace and joy in this world. Verse 14, there we found believers and were invited to stay with them for seven days. And we, so we came to Rome. Now that's 130 miles away from Rome, so is is Luke jumping the gun? Well, perhaps in our day, a suburb is only a few traffic lights stop into a city proper. And maybe for the ancient world, if you're on the same mass of land as Rome, and if you can find a road that leads straight there, which you can, you're pretty much in Rome. <laughs> Even if it's a few days walks away. So just how I might say, you know, our church conference meeting is in Portland. It's not. It's a few hours on the other side of Portland. As far as Luke is concerned, after a treacherous, months-long journey, he can kiss the land that Rome sits on miles away and call it Rome. (laughs) But Paul found believers here 130 miles away from Rome in Patoli. Uh, In Acts 18.2, there's that wonderful transition. Paul meets on his second missionary journey Priscilla and Aquila who had been expelled from Rome. They were they were Christians. And this was a few years less than a decade than Paul's arrival in Rome here. So there was a Christian population here in and around Rome when Paul made it. And I don't know if we fully appreciate that likely Paul, yes, he's had a few traveling Christian companions, but their enjoyment of Christians when they meet them after this long winter. In fact, there's room in the meaning of this word invited in verse 14 to actually be comforted or encouraged or consoled. 
If you look at the Greek word, it has the same root as paraclete, which is what Jesus calls the Holy Spirit, one who comes alongside, the counselor, the comforter. Paul and the few Christians were comforted to stay with them for a week. Plus, we should likely note again that the centurion over Paul, Julius, just as he had let Paul board with some Christians for a few days at the beginning of the long journey, he allows the same here. He really trusts Paul. Uh, Verse 15 says, Now the believers from there, Rome, had heard the news about us and had come to meet us as far as the forum of Appius and the three taverns. That's 40 and 30 miles away from Rome, respectively. When Paul saw them, he thanked God and took courage. No doubt, after the last time Paul had been in and around Christians, was Jerusalem. Things still didn't go well due to those in Jerusalem who hated him, Jewish opponents. And as he's entering the pagan, basically world capital of his day, he's thanking God and taking courage. He's being received by Christ through his body in Rome. Verse 16, and we entered Rome. Now, geographically speaking, it's probably from the Via Appia. Parts of it is still maintained today. You can go and Google it. Paul was permitted to stay by himself with the soldier who guarded him. Again, a relatively eased arrest. Every Roman ruler over Paul thus far has ruled with laxity. He's only here because they never gave verdicts, and that's why he's appealed to Caesar. It is interesting to me that along this last leg of the journey into Rome, Luke highlights this, how Paul is feeling. He is a man walking into the Babylon of his day. Uh, For instance, earlier in Acts, when Paul sees the horizon of Athens, we read, while Paul was in Athens, his spirit was troubled within him when he saw the city was full of idols. Right? But he's coming into Rome, Israel's oppressor, pagan capital, and he's comforted to stay with Christians for seven days. He's thanking God and taking courage when he sees other Christians coming out to greet him so that when he gets to Rome, he need not to have a troubled spirit because he has brothers and sisters in Christ to do life with in Rome. Here's what I see in this passage. Thiki, the God of justice, has been judged, found wanting, Her verdict, her ruling against Paul, if it even was a demonic entity, was found not binding because God is the God of justice. The evil forces behind illnesses were found healed and cured and redeemed by the power of Christ and Paul. The Gemini twins are just two carved images on the front of his ship while Christ demonstrated in power that he brought Paul safe to port. And while false gods and crazy demons are rearing their ugly heads left and right as Paul drew closer to the pagan, Babylonian, creepy capital in the ancient world, he takes comfort. He thanks God. He takes courage. Because he has Christ and Christ shatters gods and his brothers and sisters are close at hand. And So perhaps this is where my encouragement comes from. First, we must know that the blatant sinning immorality, corruption that we see in the world today is sure demonic, downright evil. People are deceived, deluded. It's all demonic. But just as that is sure, so is this. The demons still submit to Christ's name. Satan has still fallen from heaven like lightning. We still have authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and all the powers 
of the enemy. Our God is still the only God of justice. And He will judge the world and judge it righteously. Our God is still the God whom all illnesses and sicknesses are subject to and submissive to. And He is sovereign and merciful. And our God is still a God who will ultimately protect us on land or on sea. And because of Him and His people, you and I can still find warmth in Babylon. We are still strangers and pilgrims in exile, but in in exile with brothers and sisters in Christ who will always warmly receive us and always be lights and comforters and encouragers and heart warmers on even the most foreign and pagan shores. Amen? Amen? Let's pray. Father, I love that you take a dark world and make a light world. I love that you're a redeemer. I love that you showed up on the seas of a Gerasene demoniac and we see this dark picture turned on its head simply because you commanded it to be so. I love that you shatter the gods and goddesses of pagan worlds, showing again and again that you have power and authority over everyone and everything. Thank you that this earth is yours. Thank you that you made a good world that we enjoy. And Father, whenever we are tempted to run away and hide or to be scared or to think that the enemy is winning, please remind us every day, your name has authority over all these things. You ultimately will have your say. Father, help us to take what we learned today to pray. Please fix our world because you can. You answer prayers. You're a good God and you want a fixed world. That's why you came and you died and you rose again to reverse the fall. So that's what we pray today. Lord, please, in your name and in your power and in your authority, drive out all evil and fix your world. Father, we love you and we thank you and we ask and pray all this in Jesus' name.